It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on your path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Revenue North Star, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenues, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales customized to your company environment. Welcome everybody to another great episode of The Revenue Maze. I'm so grateful for all you listeners and viewers, and we have a fantastic guest today. I'm so excited because he, well, he was a disc jockey. That is so fun. <laughs> we'll get into that. He is obviously... Um, just an amazing human and innovative thought leader. We talk about that a lot, but he truly fits that mold. He does a lot of hands-on execution. He drives alignment, improves collaboration, and leads by both example and influence. He is CEO at Pangissimo. Welcome, Brian Ketchum. Hey, thanks, Valerie. It's uh, great to be here. I I can't wait to hear, and I know everybody else can't wait to hear the, your stories because it's so fun. So anyways, but we always answer the question, and I don't know, maybe people get bored with it, but that's what the show's about. What is one thing that you can tell the listeners and viewers that they can do to help them get out of the revenue maze? You know, it's a great question, and I'd have to say, you know, my thoughts on this have kind of evolved over the course of time because I've worked in such a variety of industries but, you know, kind of given current state, my work at Pangissimo, I kind of feel one of the most important things, it's understanding what channels you can afford to be in, right? And how far can the business extend itself and kind of raise and, and extend its public profile? Mm -hmm. Because when you start looking deep down at your own cost to run your own business, when you understand margin expectations of prospective channel partners and how they run their business, sometimes you have to conclude that you can't be in certain channels, right? But it's really important to go through the process of gathering all those facts, really understanding again, what, what profit margin can my business accept in order to potentially be in a, in a channel? And I think until you really understand that, that keeps you in the maze. <laughs> that does keep you in the maze. So then I, you know, honestly, it's interesting how many don't really kind of look at it. It's just like, hey, let's go out willy-nilly and see, we'll get this channel, we'll get this channel, we'll get this channel. And so give us some pointers. I mean, you're the expert. Give us the pointers. <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, again, where you start is, is my product or service cool? Does it meet a need? Is it niche? Is it gimmicky? Like, is it really something that somebody else wants to get involved with? And again, you, the only way you're going to know that is if you do the hard work to go out, call on, like in my case, right, we're a consumer electronics startup. Yeah. So I'm constantly calling on not just investors, but buyers. And I'm talking about, you know, you have manufacturers, reps, you have distributors, both maybe national level, maybe regional, um, you have direct e-commerce platforms and membership services, right? Where they have a particular audience and they all care about things in different ratios. Their profit margin expectations are all different and not necessarily something I would have immediately 
uh, grasped onto when I when I took this gig. But then they all want different kinds of marketing support and different kind of other post sales support. And, you know, you got to put all that together to understand, again, what is the real value proposition and what's the real business opportunity, both for myself and in a working relationship with a third party. Yeah. So you keep talking about you got to put that all together. It sounds like the framework for strategy for each lines of business. So just kind of describe how you do that at Pengissimo. Yeah, the way we look at it is, again, having a really good understanding of what our core cost structures are, right? So we manufacture a thing that gets put into a box. It's going to get shipped out. You know, so you have to look at, let's say you wanted to be in-box, in-store retail, for example. That's very different than mm-hmm. online only. Until you have done all the due diligence with a buyer to understand the differences in those two business models, you, you don't know whether you can rule in or rule out that opportunity. You know, the reality for us as a young business, we really do prefer kind of direct to consumer and kind of the online only route mm-hmm. at a level of particular growth will hit maturity where, yeah, you want to be on a shelf in a store, but that's not really the place you're going to start. But again, until you really do the work and understand what the rules of the game are, you, you don't really know whether you can rule that in or out. And you and you kind of assume everything's in play when you start. You, but yeah, it, it really comes down to, again, we have a, a very good handle on our cost structure. We know what kind of a margin we can take. So I know what kind of ch- what business opportunities I can put in play or not. Yeah, yeah, that's. At Revenue North Star, that's kind of what we do when we say, okay, let's look at the five-year plan and see what we need at each year. And you were saying for at, at first, we want to go pretty much direct and online, but there will be some point where it changes, you know? So you're talking about maybe getting, um, I call them mini business cases set up for each channel, right? Yeah. And when would you actually, you create that org chart you know, is it a sales team? Is it completely always just, um, what is it? You know, how do you set up that org chart? And I kind of do that kind of like you mentioned, I kind of do that at, okay, when is it time to pull it, you know, have it outside, inside, online, whatever, you know? And so it sounds like that's what you guys are creating in order to make sure that you're safeguarding what you're doing. So, um, and making sure you're going through the appropriate channels because, I've also found that a that can be a big miss and everybody has this yeah. disastrous first year because you're like, we sort of think it's this way from a consumer perspective, but then we found out, no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you tried to mitigate that or, or kind of narrow that down um, with what you guys are doing? Yeah, it really is about, again, understanding what the operating expenses or the expenditures will need to be direct-to-consumer versus any third-party channel support. So, for example, you know, even if we're working with any third-party retail channel online only, mm-hmm. we'll still do some marketing on behalf of them. We'll promote their brand as a path to our audience to find our product. So marketing is not zero cost, but it's way less than what we would budget for our own direct-to-consumer activities. Mm-hmm. The same thing kind of goes for... Um, post-sales customer support, right? So some people will always come back to the brand, even if they buy through the third party, they'll always come back to the brand to look for support content, how-tos, and if they have an issue with a product, 
they might engage with the brand directly. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of the retailers who own that customer, right? So if you buy a product through a third party, they look at you as your customer, not ours. Mm -hmm. And they actually might want some of that support opportunity, but we still have to provide the content, right? So you mm -hmm. still have to package up and bundle material that allows your channel partner to provide the right kind of customer service with product issues. So again, your expenses and your time spent are not zero, but they're very different than when you own the customer relationship and you are doing the work directly. Yeah. And I think that that's why a lot do go direct at first because it's so complicated with every, with every channel um, and how you're going to decide what that is. And I guess for me, what I was trying to ask, and I, I'm always a hero in my own mind because I ask maybe a question and I'm like, this is what I'm trying to get at. And then I get this other answer. So I was just trying to understand like, what are some things that you've put into play? Yeah. You're looking at the expenses and everything, but now you're like six months into this. How do you know it's working, not working? And should you actually expand out to another market? Uh, I mean, another channel, um, you know, you looked at the expenses, that's great. And you know what margin, and then you come back and you go, that's not working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is working and we need to repeat it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, so at Pangissimo, we're very early stage. We're not pre-revenue. We're, we're the next closest thing to, to pre-revenue. Now we have done a little bit of third-party e-commerce e uh, activity. Okay. And I would tell you like, it went okay, right? The sales volume, we certainly would have liked it to, to be larger but it wasn't. And I would say the takeaway there to your specific question would be, would I want to do that again, knowing what I know now? Right. So yeah. if they, they, they did a certain sales volume and if, if I really liked that number, I'd say, sure, I would do it again. If I'm kind of lukewarm on how we did, I might not do it again. Right. So it really will come down to, you know, that, that point in time in the future where if that, that, that door remains open is the good news. The question is, am I walking through it or not? Is the yeah. question relative again to all the other types of business that I could pursue. And I think that's really where you make your decision. And that is the coin toss that you are deciding on. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the life experiences and I always kind of go, should we talk about what built Pangissimo, why did you start? Because there's obviously a challenge in the industry that you were trying to solve. So, and when you're trying to get something up and going and bearing good revenue stream, yes, you want to make sure you're watching your profit mar margins and, you know, your targets. What brought you to, to, to creating Pangissimo? Well, so I was not one of the founders of the business. So there were four founders of the business going back to 2018. They were engineering students and friends at Boston University. Uh -huh. They took a class on entrepreneurship and they got inspired and motivated to come up with the speaker design that they did. Right. So we make a, it's a portable Bluetooth speaker, yeah. but it's, it's four units in one. Yeah. Right. And this is, this is, this is the beauty of the product and you know yeah. the re the real question is why did i take the gig so the reason <laughs> i took the, 
you know <laughs> the the reason I took the gig is that I believe in the product and I believe in the value it provides, right? Because yeah. what do people want? What people really want, especially in a portable product, is the flexibility to have a multi-speaker experience and the freedom to kind of place those speakers where they want to. And yeah. the reality is that nobody offers that experience. And that's what this does. Because we know two things. Speakers are expensive to buy, which is why a lot of people do not buy more than one. Yeah. And pairing's hard to do, right? There are complicated, yeah. long press this thing and stand and do this. And, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> right? The listeners are going to stand and do what? Yeah, <laughs> What's like, snapping together? <laughs> you know, so this product, all the speakers self-pair. You don't have to know how to pair it. Just turn it on. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's kind of the wow moment. Like when you connect, you connect your phone to to one of the speakers and you get the audio, you turn on the other three speakers and the stream hits like that's a beautiful moment. Right. And when we show people, when we talk, when we take this out to the public and get their feedback, like their eyes light up at that moment. And that's where you, you know you've done a really great thing. Right. And so to me, like I believe. And again, that's why I took the gig. I believe that this is a highly valuable product that gives people exactly what it is that they want, even though they never really clamor for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know it, it's, it's when you're at the front of the curve and I, I can't remember which, who I was doing an ideation session, what they were they were showing their ideation abilities, right? It wasn't me conducting it. And we went through an entire process of kind of deciding, you know, what you're trying to do is in this situation, we were trying to find out what true dif differentiation, differentiation was, right? Yep. And so in one, one aspect, they asked us to create, you know, something like what you're talking about, which was really interesting. We took something that is a widget that most people think, okay, it's a speaker. It's a speaker. Who cares about a speaker? You know, that kind of thing. And right now the sound is great. So it was kind of like, well, what could you come up with? And it was, it was done so well. What could you come up with? Like for the downstream um, clients, what could you kind of, as you're trying to test the market for new product development, right? Yep. You're trying to test the market and you have this sample group that you bring in and you literally say in there, you know, you live in whatever that person is inventing their ideal customer profile scene. So you live in a very cramped space. And, and this was with the speakers, right? You live with in a very cramped space because a lot of this generation that is coming up, they're, you know, they're living in very tiny quarters. Some of those things are going to school. They're doing all these things, right? This was their downstream, right? And in that cramped space, um, what would you want to see? What would you want to hear? What would you want to do? And you just showed me something. So I'm going to describe this for the listeners, right? You just so showed me something that was maybe what eight inches by eight inches and then broken. Maybe it was a, a foot by a foot, you know, it's I like nine, they call it nine by nine, nine by nine. Yeah. I'm guessing from looking at the screen, I don't have a, a measuring tape, but from my construction <laughs> stuff, I, I kind of see what that was. It wasn't quite a foot. 
Anyways, so I can picture this completely because when you're in, a lot of them are doing this kind of minimalist stuff. My kids are specifically, you know, so they're living in studios and stuff like that, you know, because they're in like in cramped cities or whatever, because they like it. They go and they, what do you want to do in your cramped space with your listening? And you just kind of describe that whole ideation session because what it was, was could it be kind of surroundish, you know, could it be where they can't really see it? And if you break that nine by nine into four pieces, like you showed me and it automatically pairs, they could set one in on their kitchen counter without it ever being even noticed. Right. And then yeah. you could set one, maybe on a desk, you know, their nightstand and one in a corner, one up above, you know, and you've got four pieces that give them that whole experience, that whole sound experience that a lot of them really, really do want. When we were doing like the sand bars and the sound bars and the big subwoofers and all that kind of stuff to make that beautiful sound like you're in this because sound is so important. And so what I, as you started saying, well, I took this gig because I believed in it, but what I loved is that you guys kind of created or they created something that really was tapped into the market space saying, this is my ideal customer. Now for you, you said at the very beginning, you said, now take that customer and how do they buy? How do they buy and focus on channel number one? (laughs) And if it's a channel, if it's direct and that's it for right now till you go to market the rest of the way, you've, you've kind of created that nice little environment that you, that you were saying for everybody listening this is what you got to do. Make sure you have these the right channels. Make sure that you've listened to the customer and then go to the market with that and who will be listening to that now. So that that yeah. was really cool. And I I the reason I did that is most of the people are listeners on this, so I wanted to describe what you showed, which was yeah. really cool. So anybody who wants to see it, they need to go on YouTube and see this, but <laughs> Anyways, uh, I was super excited about that whole, that, you know, that you went, I just, I believed in this. This is, this is a problem, but the rest of the market doesn't know that a problem has been solved. Right. So there's, there's, they may not even know they have one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, so in, in a young business that is capital intensive, yeah. Right. You got to be very careful. You know, obviously raising money is job one Yeah. or oh, kind of one A, right. And one, one B is about audience development and reach. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, we're, where we are, you know, again, we have a, we have a long way to go. We're off to a nice little start, but we have a long way to go. And, you know, it's definitely in a world where we're trying to reach, when we talk about that younger audience and knowing where to find that younger audience, the, the problem isn't knowing where they are. The problem is, again, how do we extend our reach to get to where they are, right? That's, okay. that's really the challenge, right? And, you know, not that everything is about working capital, but a lot of things are about working capital, right? So working capital drives your marketing budget. It drives how you execute social media, influencer marketing is really a big deal. It's going to be very important for us. Our product is really well geared towards content creators, right? When they have those four individual units, 
like we've already made some really cool content in the past, but you know, you can only get so far on a very thin budget, right? So we do really well to work within the constraints we have, but they're real constraints, right? And so that would be the other half. It's the other entrance to the maze, I guess would be is that in a business like ours, you're going to need some money in order to make some money, mm -hmm. right? And that's easier said than done, but it's the good fight. And I love, I love doing it. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, we must love it because we're, <laughs> we sit in it. It's like, it's a good fight. It's fun, you know? Yeah. And, and you've got to have that enthusiasm, especially when you're dealing with this, with a startup for sure. And yeah. it, it's, it's super interesting because we could get into dialogue and investors to get working capital. And then where do you put the, you know, I, I was talking, I actually was writing an article on familiarity and customer acquisition costs that totally ties into this, but I won't bring it up in this, this call, but you know, you, you do have to be, you have to fight the right battle at the right time, <laughs> right? And yeah. use the right resources at the right time where it, it, it ends up killing you. So, so Brian, this has been super exciting. So one of the things so right now you're CEO of Pangissimo, um, and you know, but you've had this, illustrious career coming up to this point. You have all sorts of fun things that you like to do. Um, you're a game enthusiast as, as well. And so you're in that. And then we talked about, you know, a disc jockey. So I'd love to hear a little bit about <laughs> disc jockey and how you got from there, which would make sense with Pangissimo, you know, some of this kind of stuff, but also um, give us, you know, just some fun fast facts about you and you know I the disc jockey. <laughs> yeah, so the, the the whole radio thing goes back a couple of lifetimes. So I was I was 14. It's the summer before I go into high school and I live in a small town. I grew up in a small town uh Norway, Maine. But at the time it was probably like now 3,000 3500 people. And it was a it was a big town for its surrounding area but it you know, again, Norway's not a, not a big town. But anyway, we had a, uh, there were a couple of different radio stations that ran out of a building right on Main Street and I would walk by it all the time. And so I just walked in one day and I was like, what are the odds I could get a job? And it just so, it just so happened that both the owner of the station and the general manager had each started the same way at roughly the same age. And somebody had given them a shot when they were young. And so they did me a solid and they hired me right then and there. Um, and so they ran a couple of different radio stations. There was a, uh, one of them was a country music station. And they also carried like we they, uh, simulcast Red Sox games and other things like that. So, you know, I kind of cut my teeth, you know, doing things like that. You know, you, you work a Red Sox game for a couple hours on a, you know, a summer night. And that's kind of how you get your feet wet. I was really lucky. They had some really good. Uh, DJs there at the time, people for me to be mentored by and, and to learn from, because you really don't know anything that you don't know until you stick a microphone in somebody's face and that red light goes on. So I, <laughs> I, had, to, I had to learn some things. I had to learn some things the hard way. All, all good lessons, including how to speak without hemming and hawing, because that's not really what the listening public is is into. Yeah. But I kept that gig all the way through high school. So I worked that job for four years. Mm -hmm. I was ultimately kind of the, 
the weekend morning DJ. So I open the, we, we only broadcast from like six in the morning till maybe 11 o'clock at night. And so I would work like six to noon or six to two on Saturdays and Sundays. You know, we did a live, a live call-in show. Uh, we did play some live music. We lent, at the time, we ran a lot of things off reel-to-reel tapes, and you could program a lot of the content to be played. So, for example, I could record news, weather, and sports and program that to play at certain times throughout the hour. And then you've mm-hmm. got these different reel-to-reels of modern hits. Uh, they called it classic country gold at the time, right? Older music for the time. So 60s and 70s when we're talking about the 80s. Uh, but yeah, you program all that up. But yeah, sometimes, you know, you spin some records live and it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great <laughs> job. <laughs> I, I bet it was like probably a high school dream job is like, unless you're you're really introverted, then it may not be your favorite. But it, well, it, as, it as I'm sure this is going to prove, I have a voice for radio, not much else. And so it was kind of good to be on radio at the time. I did some TV in college uh, when mm-hmm. I first went to college and I did... Um, like we broadcast some sporting events. And so, for example, I would do a, like halftime, like for basketball, halftime and post-game interviews, things oh, like fun. that. That's an entirely different skill. Um, and again, it was a really, it was a really cool experience. I really liked radio though. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 So, and then you talked a little bit about being, you know, the normal golf, right? But snowboarding and skiing and exercising and, you know, you have your own equipment at home and all of that kind of stuff. So you're all around super exciting and all of that. So give us all a little, um, let's pretend that you had to rewind back to those days. Give this audience a little bit of advice for where you are today and what you would do what would you tell your younger wiser self <laughs> well i think if i'm being honest the thing i mean your I know- old your your older wiser self your younger self sorry maybe the younger wiser self is actually the- <laughs> so sorry about that i'd say the biggest thing in hindsight that i didn't recognize at the time or realize the value of at the time when you're coming out of college um it really is about understanding like who, who is your, what is your network? Like who is your network and how can you work that network for interesting career opportunities? Like at the time, you know, I was an economics major in college and I, my first job out of school was literally like doing economic research. It was very, a very transferable college to professional uh, transition. And that was a very narrow frame of mind at the time. I didn't have any perspective on pursuing anything else. So for as a for instance, right, being really interested in sports and things like that. At the time, I'm sure there were, you know, growing up in New England, I went to school in Maine. Um, you know, there were probably internship or entry level opportunities with any of the Boston sports teams. It never occurred to me like, I could reach out to the Bruins or do I reach out to the Patriots for an entry level gig, which would be super cool. Like I just, I didn't, I didn't even know how to focus my brain on that kind of thinking at the time. Yeah. So I think that's really the biggest thing. Right. And I said, I think about 
you know, my, my kids are just into high school now with any luck, right? You got college in a few years and before you know it, they're going to be at that same decision point. And it's going to yeah. be, Hey, you've got aunts and uncles you can talk to. You've got the parents of friends that you can talk to, right? There are all these things that I will attempt to offer to them that I wish somebody had offered to me 25 years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't have dawned on me that there were all the internships back when I was there, you know, it, it just didn't, it, it just wasn't as either readily known or I'm super old. I don't know. It could be both, but <laughs> or it could just well, think be, about it. I so wasn't ready to it. listen. Well, yeah, but the other, the other half of that, right. Is that, you know, so in early to mid nineties, is just kind of sort of when the elect the, the electronic and digital world is is coming of age, right? Mm -hmm. We were using you and I most likely were using very conventional guidance counselor services and mm -hmm. things that were more word of mouth. But again, whatever what it was going to be, whatever the frame of reference of the person you were talking to, yeah, right. And you it just kind of hoped it. You just kind of hoped you got lucky to talk to somebody who had a really broad worldview. It's completely different today. Like anybody, you can spend 20 minutes online and you could figure out all these really cool opportunities that might exist somewhere, right? And if you're willing to get on a bus or get on a plane or hit the road, right? You could potentially entertain that. Yeah. It's, it's not even the same game as we played all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to give yourself a little bit of that because that is very true. I mean, I, I had a, in the eighties, I had a computer, an apricot computer at college, uh, with an infrared keyboard and an A drive and a B drive and a dot matrix printer. And everybody else was doing word processing at the time, but that was the next word processing was after the typewriter. Right. And so yeah. I am totally dating myself, but that's the the reality is yes, things have really, really changed and there's a lot of opportunity out there. So I certainly appreciate the advice. Um, I also hear that uh, in your sort of cooking and the perfect cocktail, you've got kind of the cocktail down and <laughs> this will be, well, this will be released on a hump day, now. right? So yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's important to try new things, you know? <laughs> yes, it definitely is. So Brian, this has been very enlightening and such a fun show. Tell me one funny thing when you were, when you were a disc jockey, it could be that or the other, when you were a disc jockey, what one thing went like south and you just had to recoup or something fun or were you just perfect the whole way through? <laughs> No, not, not perfect. So I think it probably was my senior year of high school, our high school basketball team, go Vikings, the high school basketball team <laughs> made it to the state finals. And I think it was, so we won, we, we won the, con the, the team won the conference final to make the state. And so after the conference final win, like we all got back together at somebody's house, might even been my parents' house for all I remember. Yeah. And everybody just kind of stayed up late. I had the morning shift. 
at six. <laughs> so in my infinite wisdom, I showed up to start that gig with no sleep. Oh, I fell, I fell asleep on the air for like three minutes, mid-sentence, <laughs> just out, just out. That, you know, that, that that's a tough one to come back from, you know? Like, what happened during those three minutes exactly? I'm not sure. So... Oh my goodness. That is, I I'm sure we all have a, a story or two around something like that, but, and I know I put you on the, on the spot. So you're, you're a good sport with it. But. Well, I'll see, right. This is why this is a recorded podcast, right? You know, you can go back and you can post produce something out of it, but, and I can tell you, right. As I mentioned earlier, like recording new sports and weather, you can make as many mistakes as you want. Cause you can start over any old time. Yeah. Right. Um, when you're doing a thing live, you, know, you don't really get that option. <laughs> I, I I happen to know that I'll 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 be, I'll, I'll, be, I'll share as well. So I was I was an opera singer. I sing opera and musical theater, and cool. I was in I was in a I was in early on in in training. Um, I was in a recital, and it was with a, a bunch of other students, and the other students. You, they, they typically, I, I learned when I was coaching that, that I would put kind of the best singer at the very end, but this was perfect because, and I'm not saying I was the best singer, but anyway, I, I, I did, I did my fair share, you know, but I'm singing something from Mozart. Um, and, um, it's in German, of course. And, <laughs> And I don't know. I was tired. I don't, I didn't really know, but I, the, the, I, I was apparently the star pupil, but she put me first. The coach put me first in this big recital and I start singing and I cannot remember the German if it would save my life. My mind just goes <laughs> blank. Right. So I start, I'm a sci-fi geek. So I start singing. I just, think, oh, well, you know, in Klingon, we don't even know Klingon, you know, so I just start making <laughs> sounds because it's an English audience, right? It's it's an American audience. No, thinking nobody knows this song, right? And I look over at one of, she actually was one of my friends. I look over and I'm playing it off. I'm doing great. I'm acting out the whole scene, you know, nine yards. And I look over and this one student is just laughing her head off. And I could just see it. She's like trying not to. And I, and I just started laughing so hard in the middle of the song. And I'm like, okay, I forgot the words. I'm starting over. <laughs> and to this day, she and I laugh over that because, and then it broke the ice because the rest of the students, they just they just loved it. You know, they were like, oh, <laughs> she makes this mistake. We can make a mistake. We're okay. So it was really, really fun. And, and I make <laughs> mistakes all the time. So it, <laughs> there's my live moment of singing clean in Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Brian, this has been such a fun show. Where where can people get a hold of you? Because I would think too that maybe investors or something. Because this is a cool product that you're you're dealing with right now. And if anybody didn't like I said, if you couldn't understand my explanation, you need to go watch it on YouTube because it really is something that like two or three years ago we were ideating on. So this is super cool that this has come to fruition. 
Yeah, so uh, we are actually doing kind of a, a, a limited release of our newest product in a couple of different colors at our website, which is pangissimo.com, P-A-N-G-I-S-S-I-M-O.com. Uh, so you can go and see the product there. Uh, and then I think you can contact me. We have a team page. You can contact me from there, I think. But otherwise, you know, Brian at pangissimostudio.com is the way for folks to reach me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I want to thank all the listeners, the guests that do show up, do comment and do like and all of that kind of fun stuff. And thank you so much for being a part of listening and sharing and gaining traction for my show. I super appreciate that. And I love and appreciate that Brian was willing to come on the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Hey, thanks, Valerie. This was a lot of fun. Let's do this again sometime. Perfect. Will do. Thanks. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. Hats off to all you small businesses out there. I can't wait for the next episode.